And of course, you, if you were here yesterday, or if you read the scriptures from yesterday, it's like the continuation of the story of Hannah. Well, <laughs> with no, with no, um, well, I guess divine intervention is implied, but with no great divine invita- intervention, she conceives. Remember, she was the one who was barren, and she was one of the wives, and and uh, she had no kids, and yet the other wife. In a, in a polygamous society, had a bunch. What she does is, is interesting, but it's natural for us. She prays. She goes before the Lord and spends time in prayer. The irony of it is, when her husband sees her praying, when Eli, the priest, sees her praying, she's praying by moving her lips, and there's no words coming out. Okay. Now, I remember my grandmother, Celeste, I would go to church with her when I was a little kid. She had her own place, just like all of you do. She had her own place in church on the right side, okay? So I would sit next to her, and it was like, she couldn't sit anywhere else. The church was big, like this, but she couldn't sit. That was her seat. Okay, so she would begin before Mass. She would start praying, and I'd look at her. Nothing's coming out, but her lips are moving. Okay, she was praying, and... You know, I don't pray like that, but she was. Maybe you do, I don't know. But, but Hannah was praying like that. So she's talking to God in her prayer, sotto voce, as Italians would say, you know, quietly, but her lips were moving. So her, her husband thought he was a, she was a nut. It really, he says, you know, are you, are you like out of your mind? Are you, you know, you talking to the Spirit? What's going on? Your lips are moving. So I'm just praying. Isn't that funny? That the author put that in there. I think every now and then, as we read the scriptures, there's always a little twist of irony. Like that wasn't necessary to add that little personal observation of Hannah praying, moving her lips. Okay, so no irony. After that, she goes home. She's praying for a child. She has relations with her husband. Even that, they tell, they tell us. And she conceives and has the great prophet, her son, Samuel. Okay, that's the story. And it continues, because this is the book of Samuel. You'll hear all about the activities of Samuel as he grows into a strong prophet. Another irony in the scriptures today is Jesus. Now, Capernaum was probably his hometown. Okay, we believe that's where he lived. That's where Peter lived. Uh, a few years ago when we were in the Holy Land. Uh, even this synagogue that's mentioned today, the, the ruins of it are still there. And over what was thought to be the house of Peter is built this beautiful church in the shape of a boat. So you can look under the boat and you see the, the ruins of Peter's house. And above it is the church in the shape of the bark of Peter. That's another phrase for the church, the bark of Peter. That's the whole church. A beautiful church, a beautiful land. He's right near the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is visiting his friends in Capernaum, and he goes preaching. And they say something interesting. He's preaching with authority, 
not like the scribes. The scribes are those who literally wrote the scriptures. They got the Old Testament and they would write it, you know, make copies of it. They were scribes. They would inscribe. And that's, thank God for them, because we have the, the scriptures of the Old Testament well preserved by the scribes. Now, because they did that, they wrote, read everything, wrote it exactly. They were very, they were like very exact. When they preached, I shouldn't say, when they teached, when, that's smart, when they taught, they taught from the perspective of being educated people. And it seems that there was a little distance between them and the people. So they never really shared what they learned in a way that was humble. Don't forget, what they're transcribing is God's word. And there's a great responsibility there. There's a great responsibility when we open the scriptures and read it. These are not just comic books. This is not a novel. This is God's word. So that's why when I read the gospel, you, you see, and you, and you do it too, we cross our heads, our minds, our lips, and our hearts so we can pay attention to this word. Well, when the scribes taught, they didn't, it seems, I wasn't there, they didn't respect the fact that they were transcribing God's word. They were teaching as if it was their word. So the people didn't like them. So there's a distance. And they were often re regarded as hypocrites too. Jesus talks to them later on in the scriptures about that. But today, Jesus is preaching and they say he's preaching with authority. So there's something about how Jesus transfers from him, his own heart, the heart of God, the word of God to the people that was believable and had authority, had power. Very interesting. Now, when he goes into the synagogue, there's a man who is possessed by a devil. Now, he could have had, a, it could have been a schizophrenic. In those days, they didn't categorize them di diagnostically. They, if you acted weird, you were weird, you know, pure and simple. The devil got you. If you had a wound on your body, you had a disease. It was an eczema or something. So it was always, you know, very simple, uh, black and white thinking about illnesses. So the man sees Jesus, and he could have been a schizophrenic having a seizure, and he goes into a worse seizure. So not only does he see Jesus, but don't forget, this is Jesus, his presence is coming in, in the, in the form of a man, but there's something authoritarian and godlike about him too that is almost uncapturable in scripture. So as he walks in, the schizophrenic, who, who are you? We know who you are. You, you're the Holy One of God. And he's screaming at him. The, the irony of it is, if this guy was possessed by the devil, the devil through him is giving honor to God by acknowledging him. Fascinating. If he was ill, and he was ill, one way or the other, he was ill, he still in his illness and his confusion of mind clearly saw who Jesus was. Not only the man, but the Holy One of God. So again, that, that irony about the authority that 
Jesus is and, and the word that he is and the word that he's carrying comes across very clearly. And we have to think about that. We come to church before Mass, and a lot of you are here early and praying your own prayers. You know this. This is no great revelation. You're speaking to God, and God was made visible to us in Jesus. And Jesus left us himself in the Blessed Sacrament. So when we gather before Mass, the irony of it, that that bread that was brought to the altar and consecrated is now the body of Christ. And out of respect, we preserve it in the tabernacle. So when you come here, you may not see Jesus in the flesh, but your heart connects with Jesus. You know why you're here. We, we are one with him. You, you don't see the Eucharist even, unless it's exposed in the Blessed Sacrament, in the monstrance, even with the doors of the tabernacle closed, our faith indicates what we are here for. We know what's behind those closed doors. The presence of God in, in, the, in the temple they used to call the, the Shekinah, the presence of God that they could not see, but they knew it was there. You and I, during Mass, can see through the Eucharist, the presence of God in the flesh. So what Jesus does to that man is almost high-fives him. Right, right on. And he cures him. So he fixes the illness that this man had because this man acknowledged who he was confronted by, Jesus. When we come to church, we have that same connection. We're confronted and we meet Jesus. And we don't have to scream out because what we are saying when we come into church, Jesus, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And that's why we're here. That's what we call this God's house. Jesus calls us in at the Eucharist and he stays with us in the Eucharist, in the tabernacle, as the Holy One of God. And the irony again, we take him with us. He becomes part of us. We receive the Eucharist, amen, yes, that's what it means, and we leave with him. Now, realize that you are, all of us, are just as visible as Jesus was to that man in the temple, in the synagogue. So when people see us, here's the challenge. Do they see the presence of Jesus? That's the gift that we have. And that's the challenge that we have. We're not, we're not receiving the Eucharist just for me. Once we receive the Eucharist, we're part of the body of Christ, as we are when we're baptized. But here now we're tabernacles. We're carrying the body of Christ out there. You and I don't physically, I don't know what you look like, don't look like Jesus. But according to our faith, we should be visibly and spiritually available as Jesus to the world. 
That will change things a great deal the more we realize that. It's not going to be me, 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 my way, my way, what, my way. It's going to be Jesus acknowledging every one of us as, member, as members of his family and we gratefully holding on to the Holy One of God. 